0: Any questions tonight? Yes.
1: I have a question, but it's not my question. It was a question that was asked by a nice uh, yoga student. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to answer it thoroughly, but I was curious what your answer might be.
2: Okay. Which was um,
1: The idea that most traditions posit some idea of hope um, that will carry you through to do whatever the practices of your tradition. Uh, because usually it take some effort, and the need or the requirement of hope, of something...
0: Hope of attainment?
1: Yes, of something uh, is there. And and his question was, what is the hope in bhakti yoga?
2: Mm -hmm. Uh
0: Well, um, I think that uh, persons do engage in bhakti for different reasons some for maybe hope or prospect of what will become of them hmm? or out of fear of what might become of them if they don't and um, those are motivating factors in in Bhairi Bhakti um, so with regard to attainment then there's you could say there's hope for attainment of Mukti devotional mukti hmm. but then in rag bhakti it 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 uh it uh the motivation is, is love and and uh, rather than prospect or or um duty or uh, fear hmm. um, really i would say that Bhakti bhakti is more Motivated by duty. It's the right thing to do. Krishna is God. Ryan is God. And bhakti by, by love. So, um, so therefore, we emphasize bhakti for its own sake. So, what's the hope? You know, the hope. But there is a hope. The hope is that by sadhana bhakti, uh, we will attain bhava bhakti. Hmm. The goal of sadhana bhakti is bhava bhakti. Where the emotional component of bhakti is uh, becomes uh, dominant, hmm? sad bhakti is, is bhakti performed with the senses, hmm? and the purpose of which is to attain eternally existing bhavas, the nityasiddha siddha bhavas of Golok, or you know, one of them, to attain That's bhava bhakti. So. I guess I might say that we do bhakti in practice with the hope of attaining bhakti in ecstasy. That might sound pretty good. Years ago, we published a magazine called Clarion Call. It was like a New Age magazine, came out quarterly back in the 80s. We published like 12 issues, three years of it, and um, one of the issues was about, ec- was about ecstasy. The picture of Mahaprabhu with the Ratha Yatra it was our biggest selling. Of course there's a drug named ecstasy too, I guess. Uh, who knows what they thought it was about, but um, but at any rate, uh, we practice sadhana bhakti in order to attain um, bhava bhakti, or bhakti in practice for the sake of attaining bhakti in ecstasy. So it's still bhakti. It's bhakti for bhakti's sake, but it's a developmental stage of bhakti, bhakti proper, so to speak. Bhakti in practice is like um, going through the motions. Some imitation of a good thing is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then bhava bhakti is, yeah, let's say, bhakti proper. So, uh, and, um, and in bhava bhakti there's hope also because bhava-bhakti is not the goal either, but it's prem bhakti mm. Ashabandha means hope, hope beyond hope, hope without hope. Mm. The hope in bhakti is uh, uh, something like, like this, that we realize there's no hope mm, for ourselves, there's no hope. It's very pra- practical. We're one tiny jivatma in a vast ocean of material existence, and it's just so vast. The idea of finding your way out, if you don't understand the measure of the predicament, it's just hope, absolutely hopeless. And so, one has to come to that kind of hopelessness, and then, and then the finding the guru is, means to find hope. Hmm? and um and the lost person is is found you know if you're lost, but then somebody finds you you, you they know where to go and so you put yourself in their hands and i I'm, I'm found I'm not home yet but I'm as good as home because I found a home knowing person right I'm lost in the jungle, and somebody says, "Hey, you know, we found you are you are you're here you okay you're not you're still in the middle of the jungle, nothing's changed except some guys you know, swooped in on a helicopter or something like that and, and uh, the whole picture changes because you 've met somebody who knows the way out hmm? so you have to still follow them and so forth but so to find the guru is to be is to be is for a lost person to be found hmm? and um, and so while we have no hope in I mean, what, what do we have? We have mental, intellectual, physical capacities and they have no currency. They're not, have no, they have no purchasing power for something that's trans- transcendent mm, to them, mm, which is what we want. And then ourself, well, we're a unit of, of transcendence, but we're, sorry to say, but we're defective. By nature, that's why we're in this situation. We're we're prone to a situation like this, Tatasta. So, where there, whereas the Sarup Shakti, those manifest as Sarup Shakti, the Parikar, the associates of Krishna, they're not prone to this. So we're even defective spiritually, comparatively.
1: Hmm?
0: So we have no hope. Hmm? That's our position. Um, but that the Sarup Shakti is generous, very generous and accommodating. Suddenly a hope starts to come within us. Not in ourself, not in our own abilities, qualities, so forth, but um, in, uh, in under- based on understanding of the merciful nature, disposition of the surup-shakti coming through the guru-parampara, bhakti, the sadhus mm. and so forth—they mm. overlook our condition and make it possible for us to enter there. So we have—we we—it's we by understanding the nature of Krishna, we develop hope. Mm. Knowing what Krishna is like, we think we have there's hope for us. Mm. But independent of that, then we have no hope but he seems to be thinking about some kind of like what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. What's in it for me? So another way to talk about that is, is 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 what's in it for you is is getting over the idea that of what's in it for me, mm-hmm. which is the whole problem. Hmm? That's the problem. What's in it for me? Hmm? Thinking yourself as somehow separate from the whole or somehow central Hmm. I mean, these talks of Sridharma, you hear this kind of thing over and over again. It's very, very powerful. These are very foundational kind of concepts. Hmm. People want to talk about, you know, what is the disposition of the manjari, and, you know. But You've got to get these things in, in place that he talks about. It's very, very powerful. He does it very eloquently and uh, poetically and philosophically. mm over and over again in his his talks, published talks, things like we've been reading sometimes in the morning, Mm. Um, mornings. So, that's the whole problem, Mm. in a sense. Mm. The idea that there's something in it for me.
2: Mm.
0: Bhaktis, it's all for Krishna. Of course, you're part and parcel of Krishna, so... Your interest is going to be served there. You're going to be in your right... You're basically to be in your rightful position. Your rightful position is to be a servant. Hmm? And that you'll be satisfied in that position. Hmm? So that's probably a good way to talk about it because it's just like, wow, it's like a, you know, it's game-changing, you know. Oh, that's different. Every group has some, you know, prospect, some hope, you know, that keeps you going. What, what do you have here? Says, you know, "We, we, ours is that we'll get over that." The hoping for some, something for yourself. Chidambar hmm. said it another way: "In the American uh, history, no taxation." They claimed the Americans without representation. He says that doesn't fly here. Or hmm. <laughs> well, taxation without representation. Hmm. He's an autocrat. He can do what he likes. Hmm. Again, I give the example. We're living in, in God's dream. So, well, what is our position?
3: Hmm.
0: I mean, we are conscious. We are who we are, but still we're in his dream. So it's, it's, dependent. it's a dependent way of saying we're dependent entities.
3: Hmm.
0: We're not the dreamer. Hmm. So that's very earth-shaking. Hmm. And um, it's probably a good, a good uh, way to, way to answer. A very, very spiritual answer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Others will say that too, of course. They will say there's nothing to attain, and you have to you have to stop trying to attain, and, and, and then but then they say, you know, you have to give up the the, the practice because that's trying to attain something. I think it's all kind of just overthinking the thing. But um, our angle, of course, is that there is somebody to serve. So so we're slavery, we're dependent entities. Their angle is you are the center still. Hmm. There is some, some prospect there. What else? Let's give Derek a chance.
1: <laughs> um, we had one question on the way back from books. We were talking, and uh, you often say, "Do what feels right." And you've been saying this much in the course of a certain context of that. If it
0: feels good, do it.
1: Yeah, yeah that's, it.
0: that's it. That was an old saying, but yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But in um, in the course of sadhana there are many things that you know are not going to feel good that are going to kind of jar the false ego. So how can you distinguish between um, what's good for the heart? Because in other situations we may have felt like in this for example, like this doesn't feel right. They're like oh, that's just the mind. Don't pay any attention to it. So how can you make the distinction of what's actually good for you, um, even though it may not feel good?
0: Well, I you know have a footnote there that yeah that that is feels good. Do it. Um, or you could say it another way: do your own thing, but but know who you are. Hmm? That's important. And so um, when we so there's the there's the bhakti and there's the Vedanta. Vedanta means you have to know who you are. Hmm? You can do your own thing. You can if it feels good, you can do it. But 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 that doesn't mean necessarily if it feels good for your body. You can do because you're not the body. That's the Vedanta. Hmm? So, so the important part is, is there the small, just fine print. Is <laughs> you have to know who you are. So, yeah. So, yeah. That puts a different light on it. And Sadhana Bhakti is is for you know. will is involves realizing that and changing the trend of um, my senses and my mind being absorbed in sense objects for the pleasure of the mind and the senses in the world of the mind and so forth. So, uh, given that situation, then in sadhana bhakti, the way to think about it is that if it's favorable for bhakti, Then I will accept it. If it's not favorable for bhakti, then I will reject it. Anukul and Pratikul. This is the uh, kind of the groundwork of Sharanagati. Hmm? Um, And if you become a Sharanagata, surrendered soul, and you, what will happen, you see, if you, now we accept certain things as they feel good and other things don't and that's based on our mind and senses but we have a new criterion now whether it's pleasing to krishna's senses or our guru's mind hmm? if it's favorable for bhakti or it's not favorable for bhakti so we have a new criterion hmm? that determines good and bad we don't do away with we have a continue with the dualities but we have a new criterion and that is If it's favorable for bhakti, I accept it. If it's not favorable, I reject it. Now, because you have this new criterion, the more you put that in place, then the previous criterion, which is arising in the mind of what's good and bad, is transcended. Hmm? So you accomplish the transcending of the mind and the dualities created therein. Hmm? You come to advaigyan, tattva simply by accepting what's favorable for bhakti and rejecting what's not favorable for bhakti. But because you've done that, you've risen above the dualities of material existence and you know that you're a soul. Hmm. Um, in that you've done it in the context of bhakti, there's still variety and there's, there's choices to be made in the context of bhakti. So it's a different world rather than just ending in negotiation. Brahma, for example. So, point being that, however, that if you, if you, if you adopt this new um, criterion mm, for good and bad, mm, what's favorable for bhakti, what's unfavorable for bhakti, then um, then you will know who you are, mm, and then you can do your own thing. And then you can. Um, what's the other saying? That you can, uh, if it feels good,
2: yeah.
0: you can, you can do it. Um, so the point is that that the Bhakti, as opposed to as a Shakti, as opposed to the Maya Shakti, it facilitates the free will of the jiva. Hmm. It takes the jiva outside of Maya's grasp, where, for all intents and purposes, free will starts to be. You become more like matter by association; it becomes more limited. You have made certain choices, and then the choices are, are you got a sunk scar for those choices? It's hard to change, and you're just kind of going on automatic. Hmm? Material nature's dictating. Hmm? Um, so the Maya Shakti, or the Sarup Shakti in the form of Bhakti, t- brings us out of the grip of Maya. Hmm? And the spectrum of the spiritual world lies before us, hmm? and um, so the will of the so there's choices to be made hmm? for the for the developing Baba bhakta hmm? An identity is determined, and an identity is determined by choices, hmm? an individuality, a personality, by choices. It's all within the context of the sarup-shakti. It's all within the dream, the daydream of Krishna, if you will. Imagination of Krishna. the, the nature of one who is born under the Rohini Nakshatra. They like to live in their own imaginary world. <laughs> That's Krishna's birth, birth star. Their own imaginary world. <laughs> so so in in there's a so there are some there's some parameters to that. We hmm. call the influence of the shakti Rasa Tattva, Rasvichar and so forth. So within the context of that then freedom. Hmm. Choices to be made. So I think for the you know, for the for the for the sadaka that's the way to speak about it the What's to make the determination? What's favorable for bhakti? What's not? And you know, there's some of those will, will be more difficult calls. Well, it has to be a little developed in bhakti to determine that. Sometimes it may be good to relax for bhakti, also. Yuktahara mm. viharasya, Gita says. Eating, sleeping. And recreation, one should be moderate in all these things. sometimes Prabhupada would stop and say, "Okay, we stop now." And he would tell jokes. <laughs> hmm. sometimes not too much to <laughs> He had quite a mission you know of things to accomplish, very driven person but uh, but that's the uh, should be our criterion. was hmm. helping in my bhakti.
1: Hmm.
0: I want to be the the, the, the dasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This the identity I'm cultivating. Will this help me or not? Hmm. So a whole other world of goods and bads. Hmm. And then, and and this again, this is a kind of the basis of Sharana Anukul Pratikul. Cool. Immediately you come. Brahmabhuta. Hmm. And then, that's just the beginning of the bhakti. So, yeah, do your own thing, if it feels good, do it. Um, It's a way of saying that there are bhaktis, there's freedom in slavery.
2: Hmm.
0: In divine slavery there's so much freedom we want freedom. We Everybody wants freedom, and we're prescribing slavery, but it's very Zen because there's freedom, in the, if you will, in the slavery. Freedom to interact with, with Bhagavan in such a way that Bhagavan himself becomes subordinate to the Premika, the Prem, Prem Bhakta. So one of the characteristics of Prem, Krishna Karshani conquers Krishna. That's the meaning, the whole meaning of the Braj. You have to understand that's the whole meaning of the Braj. Krishna is God conquered by Bhakti. He is a plaything in the hands of Nanda, Yashoda, and Vatsalya, and Bhakti, and Gopis, and Madhavirasa, and his friends, and Sakirasa, and so forth. He's just like taking a shape, that corresponds with their Bhakti. Hmm. Bhakti completely rules Vrindavan Radhe, Radhe. Hmm. Adipriya, she's running the whole, managing the whole affair, as we heard the other day. she's The management is under her control. She's the boss lady there. Mm. But her way of doing it is, is very um, indirect. And mm. All the credit goes to Krishna, but she's actually the one. Mm. She's the wind beneath his wings. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that's the way to think about it. Hmm. But it's a way of saying th- those, those kind of hippie sayings or materialistic sayings, I'm using the spiritual way, do your own thing, feels good, do it. It's a, it's a way of saying that what is the, uh, the freedom in bhakti. Hmm. It's, it's a, it's a... We, we get an opportunity, a window of opportunity in bhakti, and then we can make something out of that. Hmm? So then it's in our hands to make something out of that. And um, therefore it's said in the sutras that the liberated soul can have a body for serving Krishna, God, if he wants, by his will. Hmm? Oh. He wills and happens because of the environment that he's in, of course. His will is in concert with the environment which is only for pleasing one, only for pleasing Krishna's senses. And so whatever he wills, then, in the spiritual world, that, that can happen. And he's only willing for the satisfaction of Krishna. There's, there's so many wills, all for the pleasure of Krishna, how much variety there is there, and freedom. Hmm. So these kind of sayings, they have their, their place. Hmm. And they have their out-of-place, so to speak. It doesn't really play out in relation to the material nature. Do your own thing, that's a joke. You know, you're know, you just a slave under the influence of, of the material, material nature. Hmm. There's no independence. They say, create your own reality, something like that. That's a new, new age kind okay, of a saying. You've got to be a little careful with some of these terms, obviously. <laughs> people, uh, people very much misunderstand them. What else? Um,
3: this morning, you were reading about fiction, Shikshank and I was reading um, part of. Brigus' book, That Good as God, describing different types of gurus. And he was writing that, that of course, in general, um, in the literature, both Shikshanguru and Dikshanguru are considered equally important. But there are also authors who uh, say that uh, Dikshanguru is more important because he gives the mantra, he takes the responsibility for the disciple. For example, that's one side. On the other side, uh, there was um, Krishna Das Kaviraj, was found um, at the beginning of uh, Chaitanya Tamita, He was he's saying that, um, that Shiksha Guru is more important. And if I remember uh, the terms, he was saying that the Diksha Guru is uh, Bhagavat Rupa, is the form of the Lord, and Shiksha Guru is the Bhagavad Svarupa, the mood of the Lord. People saying that he's implying there that Sikh guru is
0: more important. Uh huh. Um, well, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, um, and of course, first of all, in most instances, the Sikh, the Diksha Guru is the Sikh guru as well. So. Uh, and, yeah, Gavira says that the, Goswami uh, says that the Diksha Guru is the roop and Siksha Guru the Swarup, but form and nature. Hmm. Um, but I think that some try to make more out of that than, than, than there is to be said. I mean, the, the Swarup can also can also mean form. Hmm. And um, Rup also means beauty.
2: Oh.
0: I think he means f- yeah, well. Uh, it, yeah, you could say that the, the the diksha involves the function of imparting the mantra, which, but um, it's accompanied by some explanation. Hmm so in that sense the diksha guru is also giving siksha hmm. and you could say that the explanation constitutes speaking about the, the nature of of the, uh, the nature of that which has a form and a shape the mantra hmm. i suppose um but i i i, I like the um it's kind of the spiritual logic of Pujapada Tridhamarj that puts it all, you know, to rest when he says, which is the most important guru? And he says, well, the one that helps you the most. Like, okay, yeah, it answers all questions. And we see in the history of some Pradayas, diksha gurus are more important for some in their lives or others, the diksha gurus are more important. You know. Um... They just have different functions, I mean, basically. But that's in a very, you know, you're speaking about, to say they have different functions, you're speaking about the Diksha Guru in an extremely limited sense. He gives the mantra. But no Diksha, no Diksha Guru only just gives the mantra. Here's a mantra. <coughs> Don't talk to me. <laughs> talk to someone else, you know. I mean, he's given Siksha just to start with, clear the doubts and and so forth and prepare the ground and and so forth. So, the idea that there's some totally, you know, independent phenomenon called the Diksha Guru that's devoid of any Siksha, just—it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't exist. Hmm. So, I, I don't think that there's really such a distinction being, being made there. Um, Bhakti even though it makes the point that without siksha the diksha doesn't fructify. It's, but that's like saying without without water the seed doesn't fructify. It's not minimizing the necessity of the seed, obviously you have to have the seed. So um the functions are different, they're 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 under different jurisdiction, the jurisdiction of Sambandha and Abhideya. Hm. Abhideya means the way, Sambandha means the relationship, so I mean, you give the mantra, you're you're now establishing a relationship with Krishna through the mantra. Mm. Um, and as I say, then you give explanations, how to chant it, whatever. That is. So that's Siksha, Abhideya, mm. Ji, Abhideya, Madan Mohan, um, Sambandha. Mm. So, there's, you know, a fair amount of uh, inter- integration that, I think that, that, as I say, I like Shri answer, the one who helps you the most, is hmm. the most important guru. And, um, I mean, he only mentions the Siksha Guru, the Diksha Guru. There's the, there's other gurus. There's the Bhartma Pradarsha Guru, there's the Sannyasa Guru. So, um if you you know, if you if you take well the Diksha Guru is one who teaches about bhajan, but it's not necessarily the case of Diksha Guru. Bhajan is practice, so so again there's no real meaning to an entirely isolated Diksha Guru who does nothing but give Diksha. As well as possible you could have someone who's just too gone, too far gone to do anything but give Diksha, and you spring him up, he gives a Diksha and then other gurus explain everything. Mm. Yeah, You got some instructions, but not much. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of what angle you, you know, you, you look at it. Which is more important? Again, the seed or the, or the, or the, or the watering, the cultivating.
2: Mm.
0: <coughs> cultivating comes before the seed. So, without that, you just put a seed. The ground has not been cultivated then. So, who's doing that? It's usually by siksha that the diksha guru becomes understood, cap captured. He gives siksha, and the, the disciple says, "I want diksha." So, the siksha determines the diksha. <coughs> they're so interrelated. Hmm. His main point there, Krishnadas Kaviraj, is that is that the Guru is, is a manifestation of Krishna, hmm. Siksha or Diksha. But I think also by um, introducing a plurality of Gurus, it's um, he his explanation um, opens the door for a more of an adi Bhotic perspective, that he won't get stuck in an adi perspective. Which is literal, and my guru is the only guru, you know, in in the full sense of the term. Hmm. Suddenly, there's as soon as there's a plurality of gurus, there's relativity. Hmm. Otherwise, you you may not think exists.
3: Hmm.
0: Relativity doesn't mean bad. Hmm. Um, For example. There's the, uh, or material, it doesn't necessarily even mean material. Hmm? For example, some devotee has uh, Sakya Bhav, some has Madhurya Bhav, so there's some relativity. Hmm? You understand? But it's not bad. It's not material. Hmm? So, according to the Bhav, the guru has certain preoccupations and and, uh, and and uh, under the influence of other Bob have other preoccupations. Hmm? So, which one's right? They're both right. So there's some relativity. It's not that this is the only way to do it. Hmm? This is the only way to understand the verse. Hmm? To say there's another way, immediately it means your way is relative. In a, in a, in a, in a spiritual sense. Hmm? You follow? Mm-hmm. So, when we say there's relativity, mm-hmm. even in terms of ordinary dealings, mm-hmm. Guru has a sadaka deha, and it'll have likes and dislikes.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: They should be arising from the inner life, mm-hmm. they'll play themselves out in this world. Mm-hmm. So there's relativity and a kind of a filter there. So anyway, as soon as you introduce a plurality of Gurus, all of a sudden it's absolute, there's relative, and you've got to balance these two things. It makes for a very different um perspective. than Guru is absolute, everything he says, and there it is, and you know, he's the example of how I should act. He's his his thoughts and advice overrides my own mind and and so forth and and um that's that's good, but that can turn into also a non-thinking kind of a perspective that doesn't allow you to go deep into the tattva. Hmm? You start to go into the tattva, guru-tattva, then the person of the guru, in one sense, starts to look a little smaller. There's relativity and and, and so forth, but, but uh, you're actually going deeper understanding. Hm. and they've harmonized the relativity and becomes charming and properly understood and so forth. Mm. So it's, so by introducing both, the guru is one. Mm. And I'm saying that because it looks like there's lots of them. Mm. day guru, there are many gurus, different types of gurus. They're all one, but they're different. So he, he immediately have to have, have you honest the implications of that. You have to deal with, it. and that's the world he lived in, Krishna Eliezer. It's a world of different gurus and and uh, all one teaching, but different bhavas. and and he's inviting us into that world. The guru has associates, and there's different manifestations of guru, and the guru is all one at the same time. So. With only a adhyatmic perspective, you're not going to enter into the land of gurus. Hmm. Only my guru, and he's only right here. Hmm. Eventually, we see my gurus here, there, everywhere, teaching. Hmm. But we are told in the beginning, focus in one place, one place, one place, one place. Then you should be able to turn around and say, Oh, it's everywhere. Hmm. Hmm. What else? All right, else. What's your question? <clears throat>
1: what's, um, what's this adiatic, adibothic, conception that
0: you're talking about? <clears throat> like, what's the definition of adi? You know, adiatic means you know a, a conception that's based on on um, identification with the atma means the body and mind here. Hmm? Adibothic means a conception that's that's tempered by other opinions, other thinking. Hmm? other people adi botic means other beings hmm. typically the words are used Adiatmic suffering suffering that comes from your own body and mind adibotik suffering that comes from other living beings adidavik miseries suffering that comes from natural causes godly causes nature hmm. hurricanes you know whatever that you can't do much much about hmm. So they're used in different ways. Here we're using them. The adhyatmic conception is one that's that's real body and mind, mostly absorbed in, which is external, even though you know you're not, theoretically. You function as if you are, often. And you are preoccupied with the external world as the real world, and you think maybe there's a spiritual world, and I kind of believe that, and try for it but then we keep trying to validate it by making it physical. The subjective world is the real world. A world of subjects who have feelings. The object world is full of objects. They have no feelings. Hmm. We're absorbed in the objective world. We think it's the real world. Hmm. So we, we want to validate things from the subjective world by making them physically manifest. Like I said the other day, from the Adiatmic perspective, a devotee may see something and it reminds him of Krishna and his bob is projected on that thing, that stone, and then we call it a self-manifest deity. And then the Adiatmic vantage point, devotees will take it and then they'll have to put eyes on it and draw something on there. So that's you see, that's like Really physically there, you can see know, yeah. Or, you know, this whole thing with the worship of the deities, and they, they get, really get into, like, making the eyes really real. You've you, you seen people have advertised like that and so forth. And You want to make them more real. Hmm. You follow? Hmm. Whereas the ancient deities, they don't look so real. They look like maybe they're from some other world or something, you know. So, it's the adiatmic perspective, see? You keep trying to fit the spiritual in the material world and validate it thereby. Hmm? The adhyatmic is the other end of the spectrum. And he take the material world and put it in the spiritual world. Everything you see turns into the spiritual world.
3: Hmm?
0: Sees everything from the spiritual perspective. Hmm? And, and 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 the material world looks entirely different. Hmm? Looks like mm. everything's alive, hmm? and so the descriptions are poetic, and and the rivers have goddesses preside over them.
2: Hmm?
0: You understand? <laughs> That's the adiabatic
2: perspective. Hmm? Mm-hmm.
0: Adiabatic, perspective. No. I say Adidaivik? Adidaivik perspective. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the adhidavic perspective. He sees sees the opposites. And the Adi adhidavit takes both, it balances these out, material and spiritual. Try to make sense out of it. Hmm. it make sense out of it, understand the ground, of the philosophical ground underneath it and so forth. And getting on that ground then pulls you out of the adhidavit perspective, this necessity to validate and so then You're all on the ground, on which that solid philosophical ground, on which that Adhyatmic bhava world, that perspective uh, manifests, you know, on the ground of, of tattva. So, the Adiatmic perspective, of Krishna appears in the world, at The Adi Bhautic perspective, Ajahn Rastami is, is, is initiation. Krishna's come into your life. Krishna has appeared. And and the human heart is the ground where the lila is being performed. It's performed in the material world. It's manifested in the material world in the heart of the devotees. But is it really there?
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: it is. And so then then since from the Yadiyatma perspective, you're having problem. You're trying to fit the spiritual world and the material world, you're having problems. It's not quite fitting. Hmm. So you have to just say, well, they're all in Maya, you know. They say the laws like this are the world, natural world, you know. Hmm. The Yadiyatma perspective can harmonize it. and Hmm. Then enter into the Adidavik perspective. And, and you are living in the world that Krishna is appearing in. You're in lila, the extension of lila, for example. Of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu really, really appeared in the world. Krishna too, but... <laughs> He is Krishna. Hmm. All the avatars appeared in him. We have but to go there, only Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He personally appeared. Hmm. How, how will you believe that there's, there's a Varaha, a pig who picked up the world with his tusks, because the Varaha Bhava manifests in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? So, we know. There's under there's another there's another world. You see there, there's a subjective world, hmm. consciousness world. There are all these. There's no there's no impossible there. This world of
3: yeah,
0: full of in, in, impossibles. Hmm. It's very limited. The objective world. Hmm. So you to go to the subjective world. Hmm. All these layers are there. and in then he's as i say he, he, he can't prove the, the 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 that uh historically in the way things are historically proven today krishna appeared in the world and did these things and so forth but you can prove the chaitanya mahaprabhu did hmm. and he's absorbed in krishna hmm. So the reality of Krishna becomes apparent by observing the person of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the desirability hmm, of absorption in Krishna becomes apparent in empiric analysis of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. hmm. So this is how we empirically validate the existence of Krishna. Paraha, Gurma, Misringha, all in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's how important Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance is. It's all validated right there
2: hmm.
0: it says there's this, there's this subjective world that sometimes it to one extent or another it pops up and shows itself in the material world. Two devotees they see it. It said that Krishna came on earth, but only certain people could recognize him. What does that mean? Hmm. They didn't recognize him. So. As as they were concerned, God did never came to the world. So it's all in the eyes of the devotees. You see? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Hmm? Because of their hearts, they, they're seeing Krishna. Hmm? Krishna's in the heart of the devotees. So he says, sadhanam pridayam mayam. I live in the hearts of my other sadhus. And they live in my heart you yeah, have to think like this.
2: Hmm.
0: And it's not that we talk about it in a lot of physical kind of ways, because that's how the orientation of people, hmm? that may help them. For that matter, what is the objective world? As Sridhar said, it's an iceberg, an ocean of consciousness floating Consciousness is the main thing. There's a little iceberg floating here. Hmm. And it will melt. All go back into Vishnu. That help? Yeah. Interesting. Challenging. What else? What's the time? Another question?
1: Um, Yesterday in class... Describing that the sanchari bhav of love of a friend could sometimes take the form of a stay bhav. You give the example of Mantras in relation to Radha. So I was wondering if that same logic could be applied in other relationships, um, in Praja and even with the Guru can that same sort of logic be applied.
0: Logic being that the the the, the sanchari bhav augments the stay bhav. Yeah, that's the whole idea. What are the what is the what are the relationships between the devotees? What do they constitute? Because devotees love one another. But Bhakti Rasa is all about loving Krishna. So how do we what is that thing? That devotees like one another? Hmm. That's the question in one sense It comes in Rupa Goswami's mind and he answers by saying Suratrati. This is the love called love of the friend. It's a sanchari. Hmm. So it plays out, yeah, sure. Abhadweep, and I mean, you're talking about rasa, but you can take it to a low level. And your friendship with other devotees helps you in service of your guru. Hmm? You're all serving your guru. Hmm? And others, their example, encouragement, your relationship with them helps, gives you strength. And so it plays out on a on low level. Husband and wife, it can play out. If they help one another, you know, they become Krishna conscious. Hmm. <coughs> it's just love of devotees. It's called Suhidrati. I mean, when it comes to the point of rasa, then, you know, then, that's fully played out, and it's, and it's a sanchari.
3: Hmm.
0: Sanchari bhav.
1: I was thinking that that sanchari bhav, it, it acted like its sthai bhav in the case of the mandraks in relation
0: to... Oh, you want, you, that's called bhavulas, yeah. So you want to say you want to say is there bavolas outside of Madhuri Rasa, outside of manjari Bhav? Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. There are some. It can be instances like that. Hmm. Um, you yeah. there's something similar. Guru when guru bhakti becomes the angi and Krishna-bhakti becomes the anga. Mm. The body becomes guru-bhakti, and the, and the limb of that becomes bhakti to Krishna. This is a reversal, because uh, ordinarily guru-bhakti is the anga of the body of Krishna-bhakti. So in order to do Krishna-bhakti, you have to do guru-bhakti. Mm. But the reversal of that is this, this is a special circumstance. It's not exactly, it's a similar idea. Hmm. It's very pleasing to Krishna. It said hmm. so, and then sometimes they will say, I guess, Nitilan Babulas, bhavulas Babulas. I've heard different putty bars. They, say, they're just, I guess you could say, yeah, they're Babulas. Yes. We try to help them out, you know, give them some reason to be as crazy as they are. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, you know takes it to makes it beautiful rather than sectarian. So yeah, it's possible. Hmm. There's no there's no bar, but it it's 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 not common. Whereas the Manjari Baba is, is very prominent and example of that. It's very prominent, most prominent in our Sumpradaya. What else?
1: <clears throat> so, um, I accidentally broke a Kadashi today, I ate a little maha sweet, and I thought, oh, that's nice. So, what can I do to um, atone for my accidental
0: she? Generally, generally remorse for offenses committed is sufficient. At the same time, it's said that save aparad can be counteracted by kirtan. So nam bhajan that is um, different from archan. Savaparad means in the, in the context of archan. So kirtan is superior, especially in Kali Yuga. And so, by doing kirtan, so sometimes it's recommended, for example, if you do commit a sevaparada, you come and perform the deity and you chant the chapter of Bhagavad Gita, kirtan. Um, yeah such remedies have been suggested and healthy remorse you have to healthy remorse you don't become neurotic about it you, you understand that that the, the malice is 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 what's really behind offense and not unconsciously unknowingly making mistakes and, and immediately your remorse oh gosh, I broke it cause. For you. You, you kind of you're, you're covered there, hmm. Hmm. but then we go over the top, and we'll come and do kirtan or, like I say, chant a chapter of the text,
2: and
0: hmm. otherwise one thing. It's, you know, it's never any problem, and, then it doesn't, and his, his genuine remorse becomes in question. Hmm. Becomes in question. We think, well, whatever, whatever. You know, you become a little lax. If you have remorse, then you you, know, you want to do something about it. You ask about it. Yes, you have. It's good. So Baba Janara so Krishna accepts the feeling. What else? Yes.
2: So when you are commenting Shikharshik the second verse. There you have explained that um, Nam is fully invested in all of his shaktis, because it's an outpouring of affection, affection call of his devotees, his hearts, are imbued with that sort of shakti and friend. But then at the same time, we hear that Mahaprabhu who is strongly down and down and so that. That kind of like seems that they're different. Naam no. and then Brahma, like and Shakti, and which is kind of drawing them together. Is that just like an analogy to help us understand that he's bringing um, Bhadraka Naam? He's bringing Vrajnaam? Offering something which was not normally available before.
0: You mean he, he, he wove together Brahma and the Yuga Dharma? Yeah,
2: yeah. Prima now, see Nam Prima some sound. Sort hmm of Mm-hmm. Because yeah, that verse is specifically all over the hmm
0: So what's your question?
2: Well I was trying to I like, understand that Nam
0: Srishtam. Yeah, it it's this is really the point
2: there, right?
0: The conception of the name that Mahaprabhu was giving.
2: He's bringing Vruchcharya. He's offering Vruchchasya through the medium of Braj Krishna Nam. Ultimately, in, in other Upanisads, it's Nam is
0: taraka Brahmanam. Taraka Brahmanam, deliverance, mm-hmm. not Paraka. Paraka means competence to. It implies the competence, the, the power to overwhelm Krishna. Hmm? So, yeah, so Mahaprabhu says, nam namakari bahurani dasarpa shaktis. God has many names filled with his shakti. Hmm. and um, I've never heard that before, like, there, in that explanation that the name
2: is, like because it's an outpouring of affection, it can be called in the union, like
0: with that shakti. Well, it's comparing primary names to secondary names. Like Paramatma, Brahman, hmm. these are names of God too, but shakti is not manifest there. Um, so, you know, in the broader sense, well, yeah, Vaidhi-bhakti, also sarup shakti is manifest there. Hmm. So he says, "Nam Nam bah, Bahudani disar, Shaktis." He's not concerned with the secondary names, but the primary names. But the higher you go, the more primary, in a sense, they become. The more they speak about what what God's about, really. Hmm. Hmm. They depict. They, 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 they transport us into what makes Him tick hmm. in the Bhagavatam. And so there, in that sense, then you have Hare Krishna mantra, but different conceptions of the Hare Krishna mantra. And some people have a conception of,
2: you know,
0: Saguna Naam for entering into Brahma only. Hmm? Some have Vaikuntha conception, and then we say, Mahaprabhu Ravana says, nam Shrestham, mm-hmm. the highest conception of the name.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, and in Gaudi Vaishnavism, then all Yashoda Nandan, hmm? Gopi Paranadana, hmm? hmm. Kaliya these are all uh, primary aims that sp- speak about him in ways
2: that,
0: that uh, he's not spoken about in Bhakunta. So these names are very dear to him. They have great power to know, The names that they call him in Braj, he's completely captivated by those names. So Nam Dharma, that's a general thing. Every religious tradition says the name is sacred and so forth, but Mahaprabhu, what he's done is very special. And then you see the special result that comes in Mahaprabhu. Say, what's well, all names of God? What's the difference? No. In one sense, yeah, you know, God's name is sacred. Still, Mahabha wanted to take a universal principle, the efficacy of sound from a secular point of view. Um, now they say, some people in science, that the world is made of sounds. String theory. Hmm? The world is a concert in the mind of God. String theory, so. Seems to have something to do with sound. I don't know much about it. They speak about it like that. Hmm. So sound, vibrations.
3: Hmm.
0: So the efficacy, the power of sound, holding the world together. That's what we say. We say the world comes from sound. Mantra. Hmm. Pranavamkar, the flute sound of Krishna. So... Uh, string theory and you go, go to a religious um, perspective and cross culturally the different religions acknowledge a divine logos In the beginning the word there was the word and the word and was one with God or something like that and um, you look at the different traditions and they have some idea of the sacredness to the name of God so you know, from a religious point of view, this is universal. So it's just broad wow, but we're taking a broad concept, and let's make sense out of this, okay, everybody agrees with this, so let's churn it. Hmm? Let's use it as our principle for getting everybody on the same page. There's power and sound and and and, and the world comes from sound, and by sound, we could get out of the world or yeah. understand the world. It is a sound, so Okay, so sound is the way hmm? and then the sound that represents the the source that's the sound hmm? so everybody says has a different way of talking about the source, and then he says, well, look, let's look carefully, all names are not the same now we're going deeper, hmm? and he makes an argument like this, obviously and you know the the conception of the name the names that he sings hmm, about that depict krishna and leela and so forth he makes the case that in a, he's the person that's taken these ideas and churned them into a system more than anybody else hmm? ideas that everybody agrees with mm. the secular people the religious people um so he's He's very practical this. We're all on the same page. Now let's just look into this a little bit more. Stir it up and see what's, what's going on in there. All in there. So they're, then he said, well, there's different types of names. Some of the names of God, he says, I'll call them indirect names because they talk about this world, our world. God has his own world. Hmm. So the names about this world they're they're indirect hmm. creator hmm. that's all in relation to us in this world hmm. and us in this world is is a problem
2: hmm. so
0: so then names about God in the spiritual world, and what he does there. These will be the primary names. Hmm? And then within that, the names in the Brajalila, speaking about him in a particular way, it's really getting at, at what he's about. Well, okay, you could say like that, fine. That's your sectarian theory. No, no, it's not a sectarian theory. You look at the effect on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And people chant names of God and accept his principle one extent or another. But what happened to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? He said, "This is my theory," and so I, I, that's why I chant these names and see what happens to me.
3: Hmm?
0: There's nobody in the religious history of the world hmm, that has is so ecstatically affected by the name of, names of God so he's saying it's very practical these names are yeah. you know, the highest ideas of, they, they pertain to the highest most intimate most accurate most comprehensive hmm, understanding of our source
2: hmm.
0: yeah, see what they do to him hmm. it's a pretty good argument if you accept the power of sound to transform your life. Hm. You accept the whole world is made out of sound, and well let's 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 look at these sounds and what we can do with them. Hmm. Again, from a religious point of view, well, okay. So nobody's there's nothing to argue with here. And then you see his person and how he's affected by by the names he's chanting, I Everybody should chant the same names. Hmm? It's a good theory, it's a good argument. Hmm. His example: he has a precept, and then he has an example. What the names do to him? Chanting the name of Krishna, he would fall, get up, fall down again, weep, and, and carried away on a tide of ecstasy. There's nobody, no comparison. And then the Goswami's get in there and they analyze the ecstasy. Hmm. And this is Jai Bhava Bhavas, and this is pratibimba, you know. Bhava and then this is and then this Bhav, Sanchari Bhav, Angu Bhav anubhav, It's like that's a whole you don't find this anywhere. Hmm. This type of refined examination of ecstasy. They had to do that because uh, as was what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was the embodiment of. And they, put, they placed him on the map, the scriptural map. They said, this is Mahabhav. Madanaki Mahabhav. That's what it is. It's right here. Hmm. It's very extraordinary. It's a bit surreal. Appearing in the person of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who's Krishna, and the whole and there's your whole the theology centerpiece. So this should be right, the idea should be shared, very compelling, anchored as they are in his example. What kind of what it, what it, what it did. People, you know, somebody who's in ecstasy sits in a cave forever. Well, I mean, it's like nothing. about what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was doing. Hmm? He couldn't sit in the cave. He had to come out. The ecstasy is moving. and you know, He was so full. They say, they say, as I often say, if you're full, why move? Well, there could be a reason. <laughs> you're so full of happiness that you're just exuding it and you have to celebrate it.
2: Hmm.
0: And then there are Swami's writing books trying to explain what is the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. And ecstasy, as I said earlier, it's a popular idea. <laughs> Everybody wants to be happy. Hmm. Ecstasy means actually beyond the senses. I think it's and from the Greek, I think. It's the implication of it. So we have the finest example, the deepest example of that. It's how we've chosen our our guide. Hmm. We're in pursuit of nectar. We come from the land of nectar. As Sri you know, would say, we're you know, we, we we consciousness. Hmm. And in that, that world, then, we have so much prospect. And Chaitanya coming from the very center of that. It's very extraordinary. So these are the things you think about when you chant, right? That's why you all pay such good attention. Hre namo bhavoke jaya. Jai to Mahaprabhu ke jai. Bhakti binao parivar ke God